Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of the Silmarillion Film Project. I'm your very, very articulate co-host, Dave Kale, and I'm joined, thankfully, by two other people who can say coherent sentences, the Tolkien maven Trish Lambert and the Tolkien professor Corey Olson. Please save me. Good morning. Shortly behind you. <laughs> and you know, Dave, can I just say again how much I admire you be you doing this at seven o'clock in the morning over there on the West Coast every <laughs> every time? I mean, you are far more right articulate on. than I could possibly. I can barely manage grunts at seven o'clock in the morning. Uh, Plus, I, I believe you happened to mention that you were up all night. Uh, yeah, that's also true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. I have, a, I have a I have a uh, um, uh, conference paper deadline this afternoon. Uh-huh. So was, uh... Well, you showed a special <clears throat> yep. dedication in being there. Well, let's jump right into things then, so that we can uh, uh, make best and most efficient time of the uh, uh, use of the time that Dave has to spare here. Um, and uh, first, I just wanted to. Uh, remind people, you've probably heard about this if you've been following, but if you haven't, I wanted to make sure that you knew uh, Tolkien's The Lost Road has in fact officially been elected as our next Mythgard Academy book. So for uh, those of you who are, you know, uh, people who enjoy in-depth discussion of the Silmarillion, uh, may be interested to continue with us in our uh, study through the History of Middle-Earth series. Um, we've now we've completed the first four volumes, both of the books of Lost Tales, The Lays of Beleriand and The Shaping of Middle Earth, most recently, and now we're going to be starting book five, The Lost Road, um, which is where the which is the, the 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 point at which in the late thirties the uh, the Numenor story emerges. So we're gonna we're we're, we're going to look at the birth of the Numenor story and how the Numenor story gets uh, sort of spliced into the history of, of, of Middle-earth um, and look at those um, those times when Tolkien is is revising uh, working on the Silmarillion stuff when he really should have been working on the sequel to The Hobbit. So um, that's going to be uh, that's going to be really really fun. <laughs> it's not starting for a bit. We're still doing the Dracula class right now, which is great. We just finished the main text uh, day before yesterday, and we have one more Q and A class on the text, and then we're going to do four movies. So it's not we're, we're, we're the Dracula class is going to go through June. Um, so it's not going to be until the first Wednesday of July, Wednesday July sixth, that we're going to start the Lost Road class. You have some time to read if uh, if you want to read. So we'll, we'll be doing The Fall of Numenor on July Wednesday, July 6th at 9.30. You can go to Mythgard.org and the uh, the Academy tab up at the top and uh, you'll be able to find some information. I think the Lost Road page isn't officially up yet, um, but I have the, the schedule worked out and uh, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. So, just wanted to make sure you guys knew about that. Again, I figured if anybody would be interested in in uh, in you know studying the history of Middle Earth with me, it'd be folks who enjoy uh, talking about the Silmarillion. So, um, all right. So just to let you know that that's coming up. All right. So let's. Um, Let's, uh, uh, yeah, Lydia is pointing out, which I am pretty proud of, that uh, in our my last Dracula class, we finished all the slides and we're done five minutes early. How about that, Trish, huh? I finished class early because I was done. I just finished all the slides. I, 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 I'm speechless. Speechless. I know, right? <laughs> I mean... I refuse to believe it. <laughs> I know. Exactly. It was awesome. Um, 
Okay, so today we are starting season two, and we're gonna we're gonna be looking. You know, I want to begin with a big overview, okay? Um, and and you know, because we've actually had a pretty firm idea. We talked about this way back at the beginning of season one, and it was so long ago, probably nobody remembers it. But um, but actually, my ideas really haven't changed much about where the seasons should end for the next few. Um, and I like where they go, but I want to review those, and then we can be thinking a little bit more, especially having gone through season one now about sort of thematically what we're going to be interested in doing and focusing on in those seasons. Um, and then after we do that, we're going to we're going to talk about the frame. So, OK, so season one, of course, we ended with the war to begin all wars, the battle, the the the, the battle uh, in which Melkor is taken uh, and uh, and we're transitioning to the elves. Of course, season two is going to begin, as we've discussed, with the elves awakening in Quivian. And we're going to we're gonna, so we're going to end up kind of going backwards in time a little bit. Um, to cover the period, the time period that was being covered at the end of season one, except we're going to do it from the elves' point of view, so that we see, like, from their perspective in Quivienne and what that looked like, what the end of last season looked like, and then proceed forward. Um, the the point at which we end season two, the sort of the climax of season two, we had decided a while back, or we had we had suggested a while back that it should end at the darkening of Valinor. And uh, I, I still think that that's a really good point. In particular, since we think about... because And this is something that I, I've become even sort of more solid in my mind about since uh, with the discussion that we did of Melkor's character during season one. Because remember we talked about that, how the burning of his hand with the Silmarils and the conflict with Ungoliant, like after the, so after he flees Valinor and after the darkening and after the conflict with Ungoliant, this is basically the point at which he becomes Morgoth, right? And we talked about like the, the moment when Morgoth really kind of sort of accepts his role, like when he stops saying, I am the good, benevolent, wise, powerful, strong ruler of Middle-earth and everyone should, should agree, and when, he's, when he shifts tactic to just being ticked off with everybody and wanting to punish everybody instead of expecting them to revere him. Um, you know, when, so when he ceases to be arrogant Melkor and becomes angry Morgoth, seeking to uh, to punish and bring suffering upon those who have opposed him, thwarted him, and uh, uh, and disrespected him, so um, that is another reason why that moment, um, you know, at the darkening of Valinor, and we could even follow him through. We could even have the conflict with Ungoliant. We can talk about that. Whether you guys think the, con the you know, what exactly the very very last scene of uh, of of season two should be um should uh, you know wh where exactly should that stop because we can we can carry on some of it into the beginning of, uh, into well, uh, the very end of season two because we can carry some of it onto the beginning of season three of course um season three therefore the other advantage of having this the season two end at the darkening of valinor um is that it uh, it seems to me that 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 really enables us to tell two quite coherent stories in season two and season three. Season two is the story of like the elves and Valinor, right? You know, it's it's from the the awakening of the elves. They're coming across Middle Earth. So they're coming to Valinor is like the big deal, the sort of the overarching focus of the story in season two, but it ends with the with the with the tragedy in Valinor, right? You know, when when things go bad in Valinor. Um, season three is the story of Feanor, the, the fall of Feanor. So, I, so we begin, I, I'm kind of thinking the opening episode of season three 
is the scene where the Valar are all standing around the dead trees and asking Feanor to break the Silmarils so that they can bring the trees back to life and Feanor refuses. You know, so that moment, which is really, I think, really the turning point in, in Feanor's character, the, the moment at which he sort of sets his uh, his feet on the path to his own destruction. And that's basically the theme of season three, the path of Feanor's destruction. Um, and therefore, I'm thinking, because there's a lot that we can do there. Um, you know, we've got that, that, that opening scene with them. We've got the, the stuff with uh, Fingolfin. We've got the, the, you know, the, the meeting by Torchlight and his convincing the Noldor to go with him. We've got um, the kinslaying, obviously, right after that. We've got the strife between the different parts of, you know, Fingolfin's people and uh, Feanor's people, uh, leading ultimately to the abandonment uh, and the crossing. Of, we can do the crossing of the Helcaraxa. We can do the burning of the ships. We can do the first battles in Middle-earth. Earth and the death of Feanor, and my thought was that we either end with it, we either end season three with the death of Feanor, or we end season three, and I, which which I kind of like even better. Um, but I don't know what you guys think if we should end season two, end season three with the rescue of Mithros by Fingen, um, or do we start season four with the rescue of Mithros by Fingen? Well, you know, I mean, there's something to be said for cliffhangers. Literally! Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> <Right. laughs> well, really, really, it's going to depend on how we want... Like, basically, I mean, because it's, 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 the two of those things is going to be... It's going to make for a very, very different sort of final note, obviously, of the season, right? I mean, if we end with Fingen and Mithros... I'm tempted to end with Fingen and Mithros, if only because, I mean, I rather like... Uh, you know, I don't want to end things on a really gloomy and terrible note. Um, but, uh, you know, so if we end with, like, Fingolfin and his people on the Helcaraxa and, you know, uh, uh, Feanor dead and collapsing into dust, it's a bit of a downer, right? Um, and it, it would be kind of nice since we've done, like, you know, the kinslaying and the, the 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 you know the betrayal of kin is going to be one of the dominant themes of that season. It'd be kind of nice to end with you know the breach being at least patched over by Mytheros and Fingen. Um, but anyway, yeah, I know there are a lot of gloomy notes in the Silmarillion, Marie, and we're it's not, it's not <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to avoid that. I, I'm just trying to think of. You're trying to avoid gloomy notes in the <laughs> summer. No, no, no. I'm just thinking about whether we should always end on them, and and and, and again, it's it, it depends. Like what, what's the thing that we want to do there? Because of course, season four, then after that is going to be where we do the sort of the 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 politics in Middle Earth, right? That's that's when we get everybody's favorite chapter of Beleriand and its realms. That's going to be oh, season yeah. four. Uh, you know, it'll be just one long, hectic dramatization of, of Valerian and its realms. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but ending uh, my, my, uh, my thought with season uh, four is that it culminates with the Dagor Bragalach. Um, and, uh, and this en- enables us to do two things. It enables us to, one, and uh, I want to integrate uh, the story of Andreth and Ignor, um, 
into season four. I want that to be a, a, a pretty Ooh, major I like it of season four because Ignor dies in the Dagon Dragonlock. Yeah, well, it's 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 there. It's it's you know Tolkien wrote the story. He didn't write the whole story of of Endreth and Ignor, but it's really cool. And we know, and he dies in the Dagor Bragalak. So the tragic end of the you know that that's going to be another gloomy note. Um, will be the tragic death of Ignor in the Dagor Bragalak and uh, uh, and and Andreth's, um grief uh, at his death. Um, and you know, sort of the irony, right, of like a human woman and an elf man loving each other, but the human woman is the one who outlives him, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and kind of the bitterness that that leads to. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so, so, and, but, but of course, the 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 big thing is that this enables us. This plan enables us to have the final episode of season four be the duel of Fingolfin and Morgoth. You know, I, I got to say something here. Yeah. I, I, you know, wherever it is the humans go to, I bet Andreth was pissed when Luthien showed up. <laughs> I bet she was pissed. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I got robbed over here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's so special about her? Exactly. Yeah. What kind of favoritism is this? Um yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, so that's that's, and then of course season five is Baron and Luthien. We start season five with with Baron and Barry here, uh, you know, in uh, you know in outlawry, uh, and and can go through the Baron and Luthien story, and so we can end with well, I don't, we'll have to talk, think about where exactly we end that story. Probably with the resurrection and them going off to the land of the dead that live, but um, uh, anyway, that'll be season five. So that's kind of the big picture overview um, that I'm that I'm thinking about. Um, I guess we can go with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so uh, yeah, yeah, Marie, the Battle of Unnumbered Tears and Turin, and how we do all that stuff. That 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 is going to be it's going to be season six. Um, what we do and how much we do between. Baron and Luthien in the beginning of the tour, you know, do, do we just, do we just have the Battle of Unnumbered Tears as a kind of, uh, you know, opening piece, you know, in the first episode or two uh, of that season, which is really the first season, you know, the the, the beginning of the Turin Turinbar story, which I, I'm thinking is going to have to be two seasons long. Right? I mean, how are we going to do the whole tu- the Turin story in only thirteen episodes? Um, but anyway, I'm not going to worry about that too much um, right now. <laughs> that's, that's uh, uh, you know, we're going to be in, what, 2020 or so when we get to 2021, maybe, uh, we're talking about. So, um, uh, so let's, uh, let's, let's, let's not worry about that just yet. Um, with that overview in mind, so thinking about kind of where we're headed and and and, and thematically what these sto- what these different seasons are going to be covering, um, let's think about frames because we need to plan out the frames. And the first thing I want to talk about before we even talk about specific suggestions for frames is I, w- I want to w- we should make sure we all get on the same page about um, about concept for frame because we ha- when we discussed frames back in season zero. Um, 
and I, you know, I love our decision about you know Esto and Rivendell. That makes a lot of sense. We had talked about following a few sort of central characters and having Aragorn be one of the the primary central characters that we're following um, throughout the you know through or not throughout as in every single one, but um, through the overall kind of arc of the frames. But we we kind of threw out a bunch of different ideas, and most of those ideas were post Lord of the Rings ideas, like Mayor Sam Gamgee, right? Telling stories to children, for instance, was one mm-hmm. idea that we had, and um, Celeborn in in Rivendell. After the you know the rings have departed, and he lingers in Rivendell for a while, um, those are uh, all different concepts that we had, but they jump around chronologically. And as we've kind of done season one and thought through the Estelle frame, the more I've been kind of realizing. I don't think we're going to be able to do that in that way. I think we need to make the frame continuous chronologically itself. We need to have a continuous arc. Not that we're telling one unified story, not that we can't jump around among characters, but that I think it's going to end up being super confusing if we jump around in time. Um, We need to have a developing... Again, not necessarily one developing plot line, but we need to be following a chronological development, I think, in frames. Um... And we have a lot of options here. Um, so, like, for instance, one of the big obvious no-brainers uh, is season five is 20-year-old Estelle in Rivendell when uh, Arwen comes back. So we do the meeting of Aragorn and Arwen um, as the frame for the Baron and Luthien season. That, as I say, kind of yes. seems like a no-brainer to me. Um, yes, it does. So, okay. So we have, you know, young Estelle... Uh, you know, we have young prepubescent Estelle in season one, and we've got 20-year-old Estelle in season five. Uh, it would make, I think, best sense... It seems to me that it would make best sense to the viewer to have the frame of seasons two, three, and four happen chronologically in that time period, rather than jumping forward like to Mayor Sam, for instance, um, you know, who, which is decades after the frame of season five. Um I mean, we could do that, but I think it would be even more compelling to be having the the sort of... Not that the frame... Again, not that the frame tells one contiguous story, but that it gives us a kind of a glimpse into... Almost like... I want to say almost like a backstage look into how the story of the early chapters of the Silmarillion influences the story of The Lord of the Rings, ultimately. Um, and again, that's made explicit in the Aragorn and Arwen thing, right? I mean, Aragorn had just been, he was thinking of the story of Baron and Luthien when he meets Arwen for the first time. <clears throat> that's why he cries out Tenuviel, Tenuviel when he sees her, right? Um, right. So, and, and, and there are many other, many other examples. And it's one of the things that we talked about with the frame, you know, that would be really cool is to sort of show how these stories kind of work together and the way that, you know, the, the older stories have impact on the newer stories and that kind of thing. Um, so I think that, uh, that, that would be fun. That that's, you know, there's a lot that we can do with that. Um, we can shift, we can jump forward as it were, to a post-Lord of the Rings perspective, but I think we should do that at a particular time when it makes sense chronologically, both within the frame and within the stories, and we should be consistent about it. You know, there there, there can be a, a point in time where we do have, we do shift to like a fourth age 
frame. Um, but it should only it should come at a particular point and be consistent, you know. So we can have Aragorn the King and Mayor Sam and Celeborn and Lorien, but those would be in later seasons. You know, maybe after the First Age, maybe after the fall of Numenor, maybe after the Third Age in the beginning of the 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 uh, you know maybe after the Battle of Daggerlad, basically, mm-hmm. you know, is the transition point um, at which we. Um, uh, at which we shift to the fourth age, so we're basically telling the third age story from the fourth age perspective. Um, you know, that's that, that that I think would. But but again, if we do this, I think it's it's going to make more sense um, to have. Uh, oh yeah, Robert Brown really wants the uh, King Elessar telling his son Al- Aldarion of Numenor. Um, that is an attractive idea, Robert. We'll oh, that's that. good. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah, but any in any case, at the very least, the first age. <laughs> I guess, I'm, I'm not going to tell you. Goodness knows, Numenor. That's what, like season ten at earliest. So, uh, so yeah, I'm not going to worry oh about that gosh, too much right now. Earliest. Yeah, absolutely. So, if we if we um, for the, if, if for the first age at least, if we're basically telling the first age from a third age point of view, from a pre Lord of the Rings frame. Uh, and then jumping forward to a fourth age frame to tell the story of at least the third age, if not the second and third age, um, then I, that I think would enable people to kind of follow, you know, see as like the story of the Lord of the Rings is brewing, as the the, the characters of the Lord of the Rings basically are going through like their formative experiences, right? Young Estelle primarily, um, but also others. You know, we could have yeah, the, the the idea of having. Um, you know, uh, uh, young Sam, crazy about stories of the old days and always listening to old Mister Bilbo's tales, is kind of attractive. The more I think about it, right? Uh, and you know, so having 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 young Frodo and Sam hearing stories from Bilbo, that is that's also an attractive notion. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, so, it, and, so how are we going to balance the? How are we going to b- balance the, the the pressure to 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 try and have some coherency in the frame story and and like you know maybe having chronological order as you suggest with with the sort of the the some of these narrative demands like obviously Arwen and and Aragorn have to do Baron and Luthien and yeah oh yeah it'd be cool if we had Aragorn do Numenor and then that kind of stuff like it's, it seems like we may end up in a we may find ourselves in a position where we have competing objectives. There may be. I think we can work it for now. I mean, so like just thinking about options, for, for, for instance, thinking about this time frame. And the time frame that we're talking about is essentially the time between The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, right? So we're looking at that 60-year period is the time frame of, um, of the Third Age frame, right? Mm-hmm. We've got a bunch of options in there. So, so just restricting ourselves to that, you know, what are our frame concept possibilities, right? Well, we've got... We, we still have other possibilities with Aragorn, right? Um, before he meets... You know, we could do another Aragorn frame before we get to the Arwen one. Um, we could have teenage Aragorn who could be traveling, so we could have him uh, him talking to Gorfindel. We could have him him and Eladon and Elro here, or Eladon and Elro here and Gorfindel. We could have um, Bilbo... 
um, traveling around and getting to know the elves in the so we could have uh, Bilbo talking to Gildor in Glorian, whom he obviously knew. We could have Bilbo going to the Havens and talking to Cierdan the Shipwright. Why wouldn't he? He could. You know, Frodo and the other and the younger hobbits have never been to the Havens. It doesn't say there's nothing to say that Bilbo never went. Maybe he did, right? Um, so there are a bunch of things that we could do. Um, that we could do in those in those and and then of course we also have the later years of that with Bilbo telling stories to the younger generation of you know the Lord of the Rings generation of hobbits um, right so I mean I think with all with all of those possibilities there are and oh oh of course and the other one and this was uh, one that Trish and I were talking about and really liked the idea of um, an Arwen frame Arwen with Celeborn and Goadriel in Lorien before she goes back home to Rivendell. And one of the things that is to me really, I, 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 I that idea kind of came from our discussion of having Celeborn being one of our narrators. Um, so I was, I was kind of thinking about Celeborn in this time frame, but then it, you know, it occurs to us, and Trish and I were talking about this, um, to have, um, to have the opportunity to flesh out Arwen as a character, because goodness knows we need to do that. Right. Oh yeah. Right. We need to make her worthy of Aragorn falling in love with her. <laughs> I mean, Tolkien needed to do. That. I mean, the thing to remember is, I mean, Arwen was a last-minute character. She wasn't in the story when he wrote it. He wrote her back into the story later on. That's why she doesn't do much. That's why she's not there. Um, that's why she's such a background figure because she's kind of a concept that he came up with pretty late in the day when he was writing the Lord of the Rings. Um, my suspicion is that if Tolkien were had ever been in a position of going back and rewriting The Lord of the Rings, uh, which he'd, if he'd lived another decade or two, he probably would have tried to do, um, is that he, I, I doubt he would have done as little with Arwen as he ended up doing. I mean, you can see even in the, uh, of, of Arwen, you know, the, the, the Aragorn and Arwen story that we get in the appendix shows already, like, step number one of him trying to sort of flesh out their relationship and her character and that kind of thing. Um, don't yeah, get she, me started. I'm Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> she went. She went anywhere in the direction of Gladriel. She'd end up running Middle Earth by the end. Actually, I guess she kind of was running Middle Earth, wasn't she? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So, you know, I and and it's kind of cool the idea of having and and Trish. I think this was one of the things that you were talking about. You know, just as we're going to be showing Gladriel, um, hanging out with Melian, right, and like. Taking the <clears throat> how to be how to be queen of the world lessons right from Melian um, to have Arwen, you know, basically studying under Coadrio, um, I think is uh, well. And also the cool. other thing too was we could uh, flesh out or hear more about her mother Calabrian, you know, because yes. here she is with her grandfather and grandmother. And I would think that the conversation would, of course, you know, tend toward that. And in fact, when it comes to things like, I mean, one of the things I was thinking about, like in this season, if we did it, this super secret orc project, for example, I mean, Calabrian was, you know, she was traumatized by her, her experience with the Misty Mountain orcs, you know, so that's kind of a, there's a connection there and in, in a way you can, you know, bring the story up. I mean, it's not like, it's not like, well, gosh, mom had such a hard time. Where did those guys come from? I don't mean that. Right, right. <laughs> Right. But you know, there's some, there is some connection there, and and I would love to, I would love to get that, um, 
story, if you want to call it that. I mean, what is it? One sentence in Tolkien, but the thing about because there's a generation missing, kind of. You know, her mom's missing, and I'd love to see that get developed. Yeah, yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah. M- Murray, you're suggesting that we could do Arwen in season three. But I think you're forgetting. Season three is the Feanor season. It's not the Thingol is barely going to feature in season three. Um, in fact, I think we're going to touch on the Grey Elves very, very little at all in season three. The season with the tension between the Noldor and the Sindar is season four, um, after they're there and leading up to the to the Dagor Bragalach. Um, and I wouldn't think that Arwen would be a good one to be involved in the narration of the Feanor story. I mean, it would be kind of funny to have Galadriel telling the stories of Feanor. I mean, she... But again, we don't... Oh, yeah. It doesn't have creepy to be... Creepy dude. You're such a creepy dude, she'd exactly, say. Exactly, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, exactly. He was my cousin, and I think he had the hots for me. It was kind of creepy. Uh, but, um... So, yeah. yeah no, I'm, I'm thinking... Uh, I actually think that season three, the Feanor season, should be an Aragorn season again. You know, this should be the... um, That seems to me a very good one for a possibly kind of full of himself teenage Aragorn, right? I mean, I imagine Aragorn at like 15, 16 years old who thinks he's just the bee's knees, right? Um, and is is has is is becoming this great warrior, and everybody rightly admires him, and uh, uh, and he thinks he's pretty awesome, and we get and so you know we get like these series of cautionary tales. Um, yeah, yeah. Of, uh, of, the the other uh, yeah. the other thing I like about um, I like about the Arwen uh, Celeborn thing for this season, and, and it's not that we have to do this, and we certainly didn't do it last season, but you know we do want to get a story for Celeborn, and, and we're going to meet him, actually, yes. in this season, you know. Yes, exactly, um, exactly. It, just the, the interesting thing of be, between young Celeborn, you know, and older Celeborn, I don't know, you know, there's just something kind of cool about um, seeing him, especially given how he has no story, and we're going to give him one. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's another attraction for me. And the idea of, I mean, there's another way in which the Galadriel Celeborn thing, you know, sort of, if we do like a tag team narration, it would fit for season two, because season two is the one that I think is going to be most divided between between Middle-earth and Valinor. Um, <clears throat> we're going to have Thingol and Melian, and we're going to need to do the establishment of the story in Middle-earth. Um, the story that we don't really get until what is it chapter 10 of the Sindar um, that is when you know, when we come back that's like Tolkien's meanwhile back in Middle Earth here's what was happening and we get those the, you know the story of like the the dwarves coming in and the early uh, the early wars with the orcs and the or, the orcs near defeat of the you know the, the Sindar being driven back into their you know things going pretty badly in Middle Earth for everybody um uh yeah, so I think that that's um, that's that stuff that basically it's, it's going to need to happen in season two. Um, season three, the Feanor story happens in a very, especially in Silmarillion terms, a very short period of time. Um, it's it's a pretty accelerated plot. We do get the journey, you know, north of the Noldor after the Kinslang, and that 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 takes some time. Maybe we can take the opportunity then in Season 3 to visit Middle-earth again so that people don't forget about those characters and that it ever happened. But the bulk of the action, 
um, you know, and, and the development of the story is going to be in season two. So we're going to have we're going to need to do. Um, and this is a thing that we can decide uh, probably next time when we discuss the episodes in more detail. Um, that is the question of do we want to interweave those? You know, so we have single episodes that are partly held in Valinor and partly back in Middle Earth, or do we want to do interleave episodes? You know, have like a Middle Earth episode and a Valinor episode, um, and kind of jump back and forth in that way. I don't really know, but. But in any case, we're going to be doing... This is the season in which we're going to be doing jumping around of that kind. If it happens in season three, it's going to be much less. And then starting in season four, we're only going to have very, very brief returns to Valinor to remember that the Valar are there. It's going to be all Middle-earth from then on. So um, so the idea of having, you know, Celeborn, the guy who is there and representing the Grey Elves... Um, uh, and Goadriel, who is in Valinor and can tell those stories, is kind of uh, interesting. I mean, I, I, I attractive. Think it, it, it's it attractive. is attractive. It is attractive. Now, the one thing that's less clear to me about the idea of doing the Arwen Celeborn Goadriel thing in for the for the frame of season two is th- the themes and how it would fit with the themes of season two, which we haven't fully defined yet. So that's part of the problem, perhaps. Um, but actually, quick to address a question. Robert Brown had asked, is Celeborn a Calaquendi in your minds? No, no, I think not. Um, and Robert is referring to the the essay on Celeborn and Galadriel in Unfinished Tales, um, when Christopher Tolkien explains the way that Tolkien's ideas about Galadriel and about Celeborn uh, were um, evolving. And uh, of course, in the published Silmarillion, Celeborn is an elf of Doriath. He's a gray elf. He's a Sindar, um, whom Goadriel meets in Doriath when she's staying with Thingol and Melian. Um, but in his in the later versions, late in his life, as he was sort of reworking that story, he changed the concept of Celeborn and made Celeborn instead still a Teleri, um, but one of the Teleri of Alcolande. So he was over in Valinor too. Um, I definitely... I mean, so we have to simply choose. I mean, Tolkien had several different ideas at several different points in his life. So like we've discussed before with Book of Lost Tales ideas versus published Silmarillion ideas, here we're going the other direction. We have the published Silmarillion ideas as the earlier ones and and some later developments, and we just have to choose among them. My vote would be very strongly for Celeborn as Grey Elf because it gives us that that perspective is a really valuable one, I think. In Thingol's court, right, which I yeah. think is very yeah. could be very useful in, in future seasons. Exactly. Yeah, we we have him uh, we have him be because I mean he's basically our representative, gray elf, right? I mean he's the only one okay. kind of from that point of view, um, and I think it would be really important to have a non Noldor voice, right, to to talk about yeah. the first age and what happened there, and just and yeah. even you know fundamentally. Trish, the concept that you mentioned, just simply the temptation of giving this poor guy a story and a personality, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, that's just I a know. fun challenge all by itself. Um, I know. And well, you know, I mean, we want to see what Galadriel fell in love with, right? right I mean, right. and that's the other thing, is having him there, be there at Thingol, you know, there we have a, you know, a little love story there. We've got to always have a love story every season. Um, so later on, you know, or later on, wouldn't be this season. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, but, and and Maria is also right that there's really no time in Valinor for the Galadriel Celeborn relationship to develop. It no, would, I agree. That would be very right. awkward. 
basically, Marie, that becomes a season four plot, right? Yes. Um, Goadriel and Celeborn becomes a subplot of season four. And goodness knows the uh, hectic dramatization of, of Beleriand and its realms is going to need subplots, right? Actually, so, season four or season five? I mean, did they meet before Fanor died? Uh, no, no, season three is Fanor. Season four is the... Uh, from, oh, season three. Yeah. Yeah. From the from the rescue of of Fingon up through the uh, the the battle of sudden flame, so so would they have met before Theonor? It wouldn't be season. Would it be season three, the Caliborn Galadriel meeting, or uh, they could no, it'd be four, it'd be four because uh, she, okay. she, she's okay. still on the grinding oh, right. ice in season three. That's right. That's right. So that's she, right. yeah, okay. so she, Galadriel crosses the Helker exit and doesn't even get to Middle Earth until season four. So yeah, um, right. so that would season be a season four, four yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Robert Brown suggests starting season four with the Feast of Reuniting. That would be an interesting move. I kind of like that. Ooh. I kind of like, and it would be a very natural follow up if we did end season three with the rescue of Fingon by Mithros. Then we could then then beginning season f- uh, four with <clears throat> the Feast of Reuniting would make a lot. You know, so. A little bit of time would pass between seasons, but thematically, that 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 fits together really, really well. Um. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, um. So that's all perfectly clear. Uh, so back to frame questions. Thinking about our other options, right? These seasons one through five. We don't have to make firm, absolute decisions on these. But again, if we have, of the three seasons in question, that is two, three, and four, if we have one of them be Arwen, Galadriel, uh, and Celeborn, and one of them be Teenage Aragorn, cause I, 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 I want some transition. A couple people were saying, Brian, I think, was saying that he, he's a little reluctant to go back to Aragorn again so soon, and I understand that. But I think if we jump straight from prepubescent Aragorn in season one, and we don't see him again until he's 20 and, and involved in the Arwen love story, I think that's too much. I, I, I want an Aragorn in between. I, I I want a transitional Aragorn, a teenage Aragorn, to show him growing up um, and going through sort of struggles on his own before we get him to the, you know, I have found the romance of my life stage of his life. Um, So it it should happen sometime, I think, between, you know, in those three. So if we have a teenage Aragorn, a Arwen, Galadriel, and Celeborn, and a Bilbo, that's it. That's all we need, right? Um... And I would think that we would do not a young Frodo and Sam episode because that would have to be in the later stages chronologically of this 60-year period. We could have Bilbo in like the first decades after, you know, post-Erebor and have him meeting with elves, have him talking to um, to Círdan and Gildor. That's it. That's got to be season four. All the, the tensions between the Noldor and the Sindar, he can get it from both sides. He can get it from Gildor, the Noldor, and from and from Círdan, the Sindar, right? So he can hear right. both stories in different places. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we, we can have him talking to different to Grey Elves and to Noldor, and therefore hearing different sides of the different sides of the story, right? Hmm. Yeah, I like. The, see, All right. here, so Marie. Here's my counter argument to using Arwen. I know that you want to. I, 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 I acknowledge your concept of wanting to do Arwen, Celeborn, Celeborn, and Galadriel 
Kelgorm. Kelgorm, not Kelgorm. Kelborn and Galadriel. Um, we, we, we did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, now that you mention it, I think I would like to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, 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 I can see the attraction of doing that and have. But see, here, here's here's the problem. I would think there's a real chance of making it. I don't want to introduce like marital drama between Gal- Kelleborn and Galadriel. And, I mean, Kelleborn and Galadriel, I hope, by the Third Age, Kelleborn and Galadriel are still not bearing any, like, uh, you know, <laughs> unsettled feelings about the tensions back between the Sindar and the Noldor from way back then, right? I think they've worked it out by then. I hope they've worked it out by then. So basically, if they're going to be... Re- in order to have tension within the frame... I mean, there are only two ways I can imagine Celeborn and Coadriel, the married couple thousands of years later, telling those stories. One would be to have tension, right? To have it be like, and it still rankles between the two of them, and that would be awkward as anything, not to mention that I think, in the end, I can't help but think it'd be a little bit silly again, thousand years thousand years down the road, you know, thousands of years down the road. <laughs> or, or we have them at peace with it, in which case there's no tension. Right, you know, and they're just like, ah, yes, we are now wise, and we look back on the tensions of those times, and we now see that, and that that's just not that interesting. How no. about some regret? How about some sadness or some? It's possible reliving the, the tragedy, or you it's know, possible, it's possible. Something. But yeah, I mean, see, we, yeah, exactly. We, we can, I mean, of course, we we can do that with them at any time. But again, I don't think that's enough to drive a frame narrative through a whole season. You know, yeah. whereas if Bilbo is hearing stories from different people who aren't talking to each other, he can get different versions. They can, I mean, maybe Kieran the shipwright is still a little grumpy about some of the things that happened back then in season one. I could see that, right? The guy's seen a lot. He's been around quite a bit. Um, you know, maybe we can feature a story uh, in, you know, it's, and so, you know, he tells some of the story because he was involved in, in s- several of those tensions. Remember how, uh, 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 you know, Kierden is the one who's like the whistleblower on the on the Noldor on at least one occasion, right? Um, so that gives us the opportunity to have and basically then the sort of the the overarching uh, sort of you know sort of theme of the you know sort of plot, plot drive of the frame is basically Bilbo trying just trying to sort this just trying to make sense of this like what really happened i thought elves were good people and the good guys like what who who's really the good guys here and are they all lying to me and basically Bilbo kind of coming to understand the elves better and who they are and what they're doing. We're, we're talking season three on this. Four. Right? That would, uh, four. Season four. four. four, four. Yeah. Okay. Season okay. four. That's I was the, just saying, at least season three, if not four. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. That would be You're season right. four. Um, yeah. So, and again, yeah. I can't I think, think of, a really better, uh, of a better fan or narrator than, um, or a, a better fan or center point than Aragorn. Because, I mean, Aragorn has got, I mean, fan or has got to be one oh, of the yeah. cautionary tales. For Aragorn, right? Oh, yeah. yep. I mean, he needs a couple cautionary tales. That's one, um, uh, and of course, Turin is another. Um, well, and of course, Baron and Luthien. Baron and Luthien <laughs> like, being <laughs> being relevant. From Elrond, <laughs> yeah, Absolutely kind of a cautionary tale as well. Good point. Yes, well, from Elrond's point of view, it certainly would be. I mean, he has a dog, <laughs> yes. he has a dog yes. in that race, boy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, can, oh really man, like, can you I imagine that? Yeah, could you imagine having oh. Elrond narrate the story of Baron and Luthien? Oh. 
what? Oh and, then, and then, and then, and, and then the, the the so he's narrating the story, and it culminates like the the climax of season five is his confrontation with Aragorn when he realizes Aragorn. like and and yeah. so he doesn't even know it. He only realizes at the end of the season that the story is repeating itself, and you know, like in oh his own gosh. home with his daughter. See, the other thing I like about this is it gives Elrond his three dimension, the three dimensions he deserves. I yes. got a real soft spot for that guy, you know, and I mean that guy has gone through. Yes. So much. Oh my yes. gosh. So yeah, I think that would be awesome. But but back to this season two, you know, when you were talking about connecting themes or the themes of the season to the to the frame, you know, one idea, I don't know if it would be including other people or just simply Gladrill, but you know, White Council I mean, the White Council doesn't have to have met necessarily to come up with stuff. But you know, we do have um it could be let's see, no. Is that the time oh, I'm trying to remember now with Arwen, and I, so Dal Guldur is 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 going at this point. Is right? going. That's that's Dal Guldur happens in season one. Oh, okay. All right. At the same okay. time as that's the right because of the because yeah. of the things. That's right. That's right. That's right. So this is after that. All yeah. right. Um, I mean, there still can be uh, issues with, of course, the Misty Mountain orcs. There still can be issues with remnants of the Dal Guldur stuff. Yeah. Um, the Nazgul are still at large. You know. So there's. There's stuff going on that could be discussed. You know, Galadriel could come in with updates. I don't know. You know, elves could show up with updates. Visitors, to, you know. In other words, there's ways we could create stories that would that would lead into, and it doesn't have to be part of the conversation necessarily, right? I mean, it, it, it could simply be a you know just a segue. Some elf comes and does something, and then we segue back to the first stage. I don't know. I mean, some of that sounds kind of kludgy, but. But I think there's ways to do it, given what's going on in Middle-earth at the time that we're doing the frame narrative, to tie back to some of the stuff uh, in our main story. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely things. There's, there's, there's lots that we can do. There's, there's a lot of scope in that 60-year period, you know, to basically yeah. cover the first age, at least, yeah. if not the second age. I mean, we've got well. Sauron looking for his ring. I mean, that's, that's neither here nor there with yeah. regard to our main story. So the Nazgul mind, dredging the river, absolutely, yeah. Yes, yeah. Sure. Because, <laughs> yes. Yes, Saruman's people doing the same. Still, still yes. happening at this time, yeah. <laughs> Turf wars between the servants of Saruman and the servants of, of, of Sauron, right? Staking their claims like rival archaeologists at a dig. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. That's right. It'll be, it'll, Delivering papers at conferences. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be great. It'll be great. Uh, uh, high drama scary, of the most actually. gripping time. Yeah. Listen, anybody wants to do a satire or a parody, hop on that, baby. <laughs> yeah. <conference>. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Pivoting television. Absolutely. Okay, but I think I think that that for the frame that gets us through season five, right? If we do yeah. that, so if we do, if we, and, and that does leave uh, uh, Arwen and, and and Galadriel and um, and Celeborn for season two. And what? And what's his name? What's his name? <laughs> you're, yeah, you're like you're guy. like Arwen and Galadriel Arwen and, Galadriel and, um, and the, the other guy. You know exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um. Yeah, yeah. That's that's uh, that's exactly that's exactly the thing. So, by the way, so what's gonna happen? How is this gonna happen? So, if we, if we, if we, so I, I, this seems to me this is how we have to go. Um, the other options I think are too good for seasons three and seasons four. You know, the the yeah. connecting, the paralleling Aragorn to Fanor thing. I is, love that. I is, think that's an awesome. I, idea. I think that really works. Yep. And that's a winner. Plus, it's nice to go back to him again, which to me also is a good reason to do Arwen in this season because you know eventually they are going to meet and 
right you know fall in love so yeah semi follows so how yeah having so said okay so what's the concept then of this frame well, I mean we had the the sort of the premise that's what I really mean what is the premise of the frame um, that is uh, uh, the premise of season one frame was the education of Estelle right what's mm-hmm. the premise of this I mean the three of them are hanging out we can't have it be too educational I mean we can't make Arwen look dumb um you know, she's not like Estelle. She's not needing remedial lessons in Elvish history. So we can't have it be purely educational. Um, we, I, I mean, it seems a little hokey, you know, for her to be like, okay, um, you know, uh, Grandma and Grandpa, uh, tell me the story of what really happened back in the old days. You know, like... Eh. Well, um... What drives it? The storytelling. Again, you know, I don't know if this is an entry or not, but, you know, what would be a, what would be a conversation starter? You know, what would get us into this? Um, again, back to Calabrian, you know, maybe yes. this is something that, that, that Celeborn and Galadriel have not, not been talking about. You know, they right. just don't, they haven't, and it prompts Arwen to finally bring the subject up. Right. The other, the other idea that I have is also Galadriel... You know, she's looking back sadly, yes, because she's, you know, uh, exiled. Um, so, you know, to have her be telling stories of Valinor from that standpoint, I mean, it may become very uh, spontaneous on her part, almost, um, to bring up subjects. You know, in other words, not necessarily having to be prompted by Arwen. Yeah. Um, so there may be something around that. You know, and of course, Caliborn having been on the other side, and be part of the, be part of the posse trying to find poor Thingol, um, you know, then we have that too. I'm not sure how to quite get into that, but hey, wait, I've I've got it, I've got it. Okay, um, so it's the theme of season two, right? The is leaving Middle Earth and going mm-hmm. to Valinor. That's what her mom did. Right, so Arwen's story, yes, Arwen's own right. personal story, is framed by the choice about going to uh, leaving Middle Earth and going to Valinor. Right, when in her Ooh. early life, her mom, in her own grief and suffering, leaves and goes to Valinor, and at the end of her life, when she chooses not to and marries Ar- Aragorn. Right. right. Well, I mean, at this point, of course, Arwen doesn't even have any idea. But I mean, she no. could. It, it, some curiosity about that whole process of leaving. So yeah, so her her coming to so I agree coming as uh, as Marie Prosser points out. Remember that the 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 death of her mother is still very fresh in her mind because it was only four hundred years ago, and they're elves. So right, uh, that's right. like it's like the day before yesterday, right? In elf right, terms, exactly. Uh, so so yes, I agree. Both uh, um, as we were talking about that tradition, as you began speaking, both Marie and Brian were suggesting basically the grief of of Arwen, the mourning of Arwen for yes. her mother, is basically the premise, the, the initial premise of the frame. That's so our entry. Yeah, Ar- that's our entry. Arwen's still trying to deal with that, but of course, in this, we can have Arwen dealing with issues. Not of mortality explicitly, because like you know, do I do do I or do I not embrace mortality isn't really on the table for her yet, right? <laughs> no. so, you know, we're not we're not we're, we're not going there, right? 
but departure from Middle Earth is exactly what, because it what was the issue with her mom. That. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I I would think that departure from Middle Earth would not necessarily be something that she'd asked or been tutored on previously. Right. right. You mm-hmm. know, she knows um, generally that like elves do it. Right. You know, elves are still going off into the west. She's she knows elf history. I mean, she knows about Valinor, but just the the whole. I mean, I mean, I would think somebody in her position. I mean, that is to say, somebody who is essentially of Noldor race. Right, but not purely of Noldor race, has connections to both the elves of Middle Earth and the elves of Valinor. Uh, I, I witness her staying with her grandma and grandpa, who embody those two different <laughs> sides of her heritage. Right. Um, right. Uh, we um, anyway. So so. She, but but anyway, I'm thinking of like the life of an elf with that kind of direct Valinorian connection, but who's born in Middle Earth, like a Noldor, a post. Exile Noldor, born in Middle Earth, right? What is the, what is, how does such a person think about Valinor? You know, I was going to ask you that. I mean, do do, no, do Noldor, I mean, do do elves who are bo- born to Noldor in Middle Earth post leaving, are they considered still Noldor? Oh, sure, sure, because the okay. Noldor is just like the people, like the people group that they're from. But are they exiles, right? I mean, Ildorin, Gildor yeah. and Glorian uh, uh, um, introduces himself as an exile, right? We are exiles, he says to Frodo in, in the Fellowship of the Ring. Right. Um, like Arwen, does Arwen feel like an exile, right? Well, that's interesting because Marie and Brian both say opposite things. Marie says they don't fall under the doom, but Brian asks, does the ban apply to them? Well, see, that's exactly that's th- the question. I mean, the. The kinslaying, like the, that wound is healed, at the end right. of the first age, um, you know, the, and this the reconciliation of the Noldor and the Teleri, is something that happens in like, a paragraph in the published Silmarillion, um, you know that like the grief of the kinslaying is is set aside. I'm thinking we need to make a much bigger deal of that than one paragraph. You know, that's got to be something, um, that um, that really features. Um, in the uh, uh, in the whatever the heck season it's going to be when we and when we do the War of Wrath and the end of the First Age, but um, I'm not going to worry about that in detail right now. Um, so no, they're they're not exiled any longer. I mean, the Noldor are forgiven and brought back, except for Galadriel, but she's a special case. So, but but her issues are not like the Kinslaying. Kinslaying isn't her issue anymore, right? She's got other issues. Um, and we don't have to necessarily get into those right now. We'll have plenty of time for that later on. Goadriel's issues, that is. Like when we do the Second Age, Goadriel's going to feature pretty prominently in our stories of the Second Age, I would think. So um, we can get to Goadriel's personal issues later on down the road. But again, but to me, my bigger question when I'm thinking about Arwen, my bigger question is not, you know... Are they still under the doom? I don't think they are. The question is just how do they think? Like the Sindar, the elves who are descended. Like you know, and, and I know that. Okay, like Legolas, right? Legolas and Thranduil. And here I'm not. I'm not thinking about the tech. I'm not thinking about Sindar versus Nandor. Even what I'm thinking of are like the Moraquendi versus the Calaquendi, right? The elves who have never left Middle Earth, whose families have never left Middle Earth and the elves who have been to Valinor and come back, okay? The elves who have personally been to Valinor and come back 
you know, how do they think about going west over the sea, right? They, they're going to look at it in a, in a particular way. To them, it's going to be kind of like going home. To the Sindar, like Legolas, who is also thinking about going over sea, right, and is very, is very drawn to the idea of the sea and whose heart cannot rest in the woods anymore after he's heard the gulls, right? Um, he, his concept of what it means to sail off into the west can't be the same as yeah. for Goadriel. Because he's never been there. To him, it's obvious, conceptually, it's got to be a different thing. right? It means something different to the Sindar. Um, what about to Arwen? She's in a third case, where she is like, part of her heritage, at least, is from the exiles. But she's not herself an exile. She was born in Middle-earth. She's never been to Valinor. And yet she's a Noldor, like, culturally. Right? You know, how do the children of the Noldor who were born after the exile, who were born after the return to Middle-earth, how do they look at returning to Valinor, right? On the one hand, like, conceptually, it's their home, like the other Noldor, but they're not going to look at it like their parents would, like the actual exile. They're not going to see the return to Noldor, to the, the, the return to Valinor in the same way as someone who actually crossed the grinding ice. But they're also not going to look at it in quite the same way as Legolas' dad, Right? Or one of the Nandor. Um, so, working that out, um, Arwen's relation. Like, so basically, having the if if the initial premise of this of the frame of the of the frame story is Arwen's grief for her mother and trying to process what happened with her mom and what is happening with her mom and and what if that's the initial premise, I would think that the overarching sort of the drive is and, and it's very much like a character development drive, not an action drive. The drive of the of the frame would be Arwen trying to basically come to grips with the idea of the West, essentially. What is Elven home? In what sense it is it my home? I've never been there. Um you know, and not to mention she has possibly negative associations with it, right? Valinor is where the people that you love go after, like, you know, the place of grief and suffering. Oh, yeah, she, she went over to be healed. Oh, that's great. Valinor is where my absent mom is, you know, whom I, whom I, whom I, it's Valinor that took my mom away, basically, is, is, is how part of her could feel, right? Hmm. Um, anyway, so her wrestling with that, because the, the wrestling with, um, the wrestling with, the relationship between elves and the West, that's got to be one of our central themes, right? Because remember, the invitation into the West by the Valar was a bad idea. The right. West isn't... I mean, it becomes elven home, but it oh. wasn't originally elven home. Middle-earth was supposed to be their home. Actually, that th- those stories would line up really nicely, right? Like, if we do the, the, the initial invitation to the West with um, elves in the Third Age struggling yes. with the, the call to return. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Yeah, so I mean, it's okay. This works, I think. I, I I feel now, you know, obviously there's a lot to work out about how this, you know, how we do it. Um, well, that's not our job. Yeah, that's that's you're, 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 right. you're right. You're right. Um, I was noticing when I was rereading these chapters of the Silmarillion this week, I was uh, this one sentence which never jumped out at me so hard before 
um, really did, where, that in the published Silmarillion, Tolkien explicitly... So this is the Council of the Valar when they're deciding whether to invite the elves over or not. Um, mm-hmm. At the last, therefore, the Valar summoned, summoned the Quendi to Valinor, there to be gathered at the knees of the powers in the light of the trees forever. That sounds nice, right? And Mandos broke his silence, saying, So it is doomed. Okay, but now here's the sentence that kind of blew me away. From this summons came many woes that afterwards befell. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, I, I'd forgotten that the indictment of that decision was so clear in the published Silmarillion. Right. Um, but it is. From that decision came many woes that afterward befell. That is to say, many woes would have been prevented had the elves not been brought over to Valinor. It was the wrong move. Um, you could even put that line in Galadriel's mouth. Yeah. Looking off, yeah. Looking off into the distance. Yeah. Or Caliborns. Either one of them almost could, saying could deliver it. it. Almost saying it to herself, almost. Yeah, yeah either one of them. Yeah, 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 exactly. It, 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 but I was saying it, Galadriel because of that song she sings in, in you know, in, in Lord of the Rings. I mean, golly, poignant as heck. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because again, see, both Celeborn and Galadriel are going to have very different uh, and fairly complicated relationships to the whole going to Valinor thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. And both of them will have different perspectives on the woes associated <clears throat> with the departure of the elves to Valinor. Um, so we could even make this an explicit point of discussion among them, a, a, a question that keeps coming. In fact, it could be the thing that keeps driving the stories. Mm-hmm. You know, like Arwen can ask them. So. Was it right or wrong? You know, should right. the elves have gone to Valinor? That could be. I mean, because she knows the facts. That could be the thing that she's focused on. Is yeah, kind of the exactly so that so that the three of them are telling these stories not in the context of saying we are here to deliver you information that you probably mm-hmm. don't have because Arwen has heard these stories. Why wouldn't she? Have? Right. But rather, let's review this as like we are discussing. You know. They're basically doing analysis, right? They're they're sitting there. They're trying to. She is put. She she's pre, she presses them on the question of, okay, about this whole going to Valinor thing. Is it a good thing or is it not a good thing? Um, discuss. And season two frame is basically Arwen <laughs> or Aragorn and, and or darn it, Celeborn and Galadriel discussing. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't even get Celeborn's name out. <laughs> this, Ah, yeah. <laughs> that guy. That guy. Yeah. So like, Bacon, there you go. There's the title. That guy. That guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Galadriel and that guy. Um, Galadriel and that guy. You know what's his name? Yeah. What's his name? I know. So, poor Marie. Poor Marie. Poor Marie is reminding us over and over again that they're singing songs rather than discussing. <laughs> right. <laughs> she wants it to be a musical number. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Although, I gotta say, that's not a bad idea to have. I mean, Galadriel seems like somebody who kind of breaks into song, you know, at her more emotional moments. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a song. or Absolutely. Least, you know, somebody, Absolutely. Get to, somebody get to composing, so by the time we get to the music thing, we got some lyrics. Yeah, yeah, yep. 
Yeah, no. Silver hey, tree. Silver tree silver is tree. easier than California it Robert. Is. <laughs> That's right. Easier to say, Robert. Though you know, I just am. Uh, uh, I probably screwed that up too. Um, okay, so question then. Um, what's Kelleborn like? <laughs> I quiet. I personally think he's quiet, introspective, perhaps introverted as far as elves go. Downtrodden. Probably. Downtrodden. No, I don't think. Well, I gotta say something about that. You know, I didn't realize until I reread the Lord of the Rings post Corey PC um, <laughs> that the scene where the Fellowship meet the two of them in Lothlorien, she is almost patronizing about, you know, like, oh, no, he is the king. You he speak is, to my husband. And it's yeah. so obvious that she's the power. You know, it's, I he is very never wise and a giver of gifts before. beyond. Yeah, absolutely. And that he's completely oblivious. He thinks, yes, I am the king and I am the one. Who, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, my goodness. So, I mean, I hate that. I hated that. It made me, I was like, oh, my God, you know, he's such a patsy. I, I, I'm hoping we don't have to do that. Yeah, so. You know, so, maybe when we have that scene in, in our show, it could be like a joke between the two of Glenn right, really Kelvin. Right, You know, they're in yeah, on that so, joke. So he's, he's, <laughs> he's genuine. Yeah, actually, that would be really funny. That would be that would that, that would actually be really because I mean I in think, fact I mean think about what we can do here right I mean if we set up the characters of Celeborn and Galadriel and the relationship of Celeborn and Galadriel we can show through this frame more about how that relationship works then when we meet that like by the time when we get to that scene in the Lord of the Rings it'll be like inside jokes right I mean like we can show like the two of them exchanging glances and expressions right which like the, the fellowship have no idea about right I mean they, right. they, they have no insight into this at all right. but we would know so they're that, more of a team we know exactly you know, we what they're thinking yeah exactly exactly Exactly. Yeah. So no, Halstein. We I mean, don't have Galadriel like wearing an "I'm with stupid" shirt. No, we're not <laughs> going to do that. Now, uh, Brianna makes a really good point, which is, I mean, this is a great way in terms of, of characterizing him, is that he probably tempers her fiery temper, which I think is kind of cool. You know, in yeah. fact, this could reach. This is going to reach into other seasons where, when she's in Doriath, and you know, we could see that take place, you know, where maybe this season we, we're sort of seeing the end point of it, then we're, you know, we'll see the beginning of it later, yeah. where there's definitely a opposites kind of, you know, ice and fire, God forbid I should go there, Yeah, uh, yeah. don't want to evoke any other stories <laughs> when I say that, um, and he certainly wouldn't be ice, but you know what I mean, calm, calm, he's very calm, he thinks about things, he's yes. deliberate, you know, she yeah. may be more impulsive, or at least in her youth was more impulsive. By the way, uh, that it's actually it's a wonderful setup to my favorite Caliborn line, and there aren't that many. But of the things that Caliborn <laughs> says, my favorite Caliborn line is when he finally speaks and he's trying to give them advice, right as they're about to set off on their journey in the farewell to Lorien chapter, and he's telling them about like the Entwash and Fangorn and all that stuff, and Boromir interrupts him. Right, Boromir oh. interrupts him and is and 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 goes on this long speech about his own journey and ends up talking about how he lost his horse at Tharbad and everything else. And Kelborn responds with this uh, laconic, and I've always taken to be this really tart line that I need say no more. <laughs> right, but <laughs> he's like, okay, Mister Know It All. I guess I'm done giving advice to the guy who doesn't need any advice and obviously knows more about this region than I do. And that's yeah, even, that's right. 
No need to listen to Caliborn the Wise. We've got Boromir the Genius. <laughs> exactly. And and it's even funnier if he's a guy who almost never speaks. And then like the one time he's like opening up and giving them advice, he gets cut off and then is like I need say no more. Like I tried, you know, like here I was, you know, exerting my introverted self, but that's fine. That's okay. Um, I, 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 I think it's just, I think it's really funny. Uh, so, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I think, um, should there be, um, uh, so this doesn't have to, this isn't a personality question. Um, this is, um, this is a, uh, 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 sort of a point of view question that is to say does he harbor ill will is he still kind of I mean is he like a quiet introverted but like is still kind of has like a bunch of like unresolved burning issues underneath kind of person is he still ticked off about stuff from the first age um, is he harboring grievances I have a hard time believing that, having spent so much time with Gladrail over the eons. Right. No, I mean, I mean it not, seems like the two of them would have worked it out. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like not against the Noldor necessarily. Though I mean, no, that's true. not that's against true. the Noldor necessarily, but yeah. or I mean, he could come to peace with her and still be. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, 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 just trying to think that. Uh, you know, it all depends on. Which uh, which story of his wife's personal history he believes? True. <laughs> True. So we could we could weave in some of the you know other tales of Galadriel by having it be like she's told him different versions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This like a is this could be like a daily thing for him where he gets up. <laughs> Who are you today, dear? Which Galadriel's going to come up? 2.0, 2.0. Which Galadriel am I talking to here today? Yeah, yeah. The three faces I do, of Galadriel. In all seriousness, I do wonder that that like I'm starting to see the the this could very well by the end this will have basically have turned into uh, the Galadriel show. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, especially the depending on sort of how, how we integrate those stories. She might be part of, like, for later seasons, she may be involved in everything. Oh, well, I mean, it's entirely possible that we could, we could easily, if we chose to, put Goadriel at the center of pretty much the whole Second Age story. Yeah, that's true. This, in, this, the Second Age and Middle Earth story, of course, I mean, not the Numenor story. Um, yeah. I have an odd idea here. And I don't know that this would work. And feel free, listeners, to just shout me down on this one. But what if there was a frame story that actually took place in Valinor looking to Middle-earth? I don't mean this season. I don't necessarily... I mean, I'm just, like, riffing here. Whoa. You know, where where it's... <laughs> where it's like... Yeah, because, again, you know, how do we keep the Valar engaged? Uh Maybe there's a season where the frame story is is a Valinor based frame wow, story. That would be hard. Yeah, we I can know. Have, I we don't can have like the story. Um, uh, the narrators of the Valinor perspective story could be could be Finway and his two wives hanging out <laughs> together in Mantos. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah. Well, I could see. I could certainly see the Numenor story being told from a Valinor perspective. I mean, I was, that's how, when you were saying that, I was trying to think of like where, where it would fall. If because of, 
Uh, well, of course, it would be concurrent, though. That's the only problem. I mean, I was going to say yeah. Manway's, you know, trying to figure out what to do with this, you know, with this problem. <laughs> to me, the most thing. jarring thing about about that, I mean, of course, the, the risk is that it's too jarring. Um, yeah, I, that's what I was thinking. But in, a, in a sense, I mean, I can see on a, the attraction to it in the sense that, like, to, especially having lived with the Valar as we have in season one and will still for much of season two, um, I... I you know, to kind of come back to them would be kind of fun and fresh several years down the road. Um, but the problem to me is the chronology. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the one thing that all of our frames have in common is that they're all frames of story telling stories from the past, right? right? And it's hard to do that from the Valinorian perspective, I think. And that, that to me, so that... that um, that thing is the that that yeah. time that, that well, time it, shift perspective shift. Brian says it could take place in Tyrion or something, which I suppose in that case it would be like the Banyar or, or something Tolaris like that. Or, or, yeah, or, or, yeah, or Tolaris. The other thing that Tony says, and this is just something to think about. We're way down the road here, but what? How interesting would it be to get a Balinorian perspective of the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings? And that could be concurrent. Actually, it doesn't have to be a past telling. It could be what's you know the story being told as the Valar are watching it happen kind of right. thing. Right. Anyway, that's way down the line. I don't I don't know that it can work, but I just thought, gee, you know, that's kind of interesting um, for us to sort of stick in our pipes. And I like, I like the idea of the the, Val- the the Valinorian retelling of like some of those Third Age events yeah. as like, uh, like a water cooler conversation. <laughs> like, and, so what and, happened today? What's going on? You said uh, what? Yeah, they, what? Well, they, they finally destroyed <laughs> They finally destroyed Sauron's ring. Oh, jeez, it took them long I enough. I know, seriously. Like, <laughs> can you believe it took them that long? Yeah. And, oh, and, and then, and then, oh, something's going on in the Shire. Oh, wait a second. There's Saruman's spirit. No, 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 no. Yeah, Blow yeah <laughs> wow, we all saw that coming from a mile away. <laughs> I know there, there was okay. I owe you. I owe you whatever currency is like. There was a betting pool going. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the okay, betting pool. We 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 we, we could just flash over <laughs> to that occasionally. You know? <laughs> Marie says Mandos wins all bets. No one will bet against him. No, see, right. Mandos is obviously the bookie. Right, you know, he's the one who takes the bets. <laughs> and no, you're not allowed into Mandos to see the tapestries. Exactly, yeah. 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 No, clearly, clearly, that's how it happens. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh my. Yeah, very good, very good. Um, now I'm actually glad Christopher Tolkien probably will not be hearing this series. <laughs> no, you don't think you don't think he'd be down with a Mandos as bookie? Concept. I don't. You know, yeah, I'm not that's, sure. That's, that's really sort now, of like the submerged be, sub, you know, subtext yeah. of uh, of of his father's depiction of probably not. Um, I'm pretty sure he found some like margin notes about this very topic and yeah. just, he's just probably, chose not. He's to... probably suppressing them. Yeah, yeah, probably, absolutely. Um, <laughs> anyway, this isn't this isn't a the, but it is an intriguing notion like like that that is sort of a that 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 sort of thought pulls on the imagination of like what like what do they really what do they think about the 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 events of um the third age of miller like like is the the story that we get in the published silmarillion is that basically their perspective or it's an interesting question mm-hmm 
yeah it is it is um and of course it is it's something that we can kind of think about and we we already in a sense sort of opened up the 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 possibilities of this back in season one with Gilrein and Elrond but having the alternate versions of stories right you know having having mm-hmm. sort of showing the different perspectives and the different versions of these of, of you know of these memories and of these stories that, that are still around we have the opportunity to kind of down the road do some interesting things with that um, in fact I'm kind of thinking that might be one of the ways that we can kind of jazz up season four um, that we don't just have Bilbo bouncing around between elvish narrators of different extractions in order to like put together a continuous story. I think it'd be really cool if we actually have the frame Bilbo framing different versions of the same stories. Uh, not for the entire season, of course, but have there be a couple episodes that are actually just parallel telling the episodes telling the same story, but from different points of view. Um, and including different and conflicting details, I think that would be kind of fun. Um, and the fourth, the fourth season seems like the perfect time to do that. Yeah. But anyway, um, okay, okay. But returning to Kelleborn here. See, here we are leaving poor <laughs> Kelleborn. All right, I'm down with the uh, Kelleborn as wise introvert. Uh, a wise, calm, and calming introvert. I, I, can we say pensive? I mean, I suppose wise is okay because he's been a lo- around for so long. But I, I mean, I just think you know it, these guys are still able to make mistakes, and wise always seems to me like somebody who's arrived. You know, who's, who's, you know. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, is I'm just Kelleborn being already crazy. that way? When we meet him in season two, when we meet young Kelleborn, as it were, should no, be different? I would say he's definitely not that way. Oh, you're talking about whether he's quiet and, and, and yeah. reserved and stuff? Quiet, reserved, I, and introverted. I, I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, because who else is he going to be with? He's going to be with Dairon and who else? Belig. Uh, so, I mean, he could still be the quiet one of the gang, of the posse. Yeah. And the more thoughtful one, you know, like if they're thinking of, like if we do anything about, let's go look for, you know, what is who, Elway? Who's single before he's single? Yeah, Elway. Elway? Yeah, Elway. I gotta Ooh. remember. Elway. Robert Brown says maybe he's friends with Cyros, the dude Ooh. that Turin kills. Yes. That he, that he throws the That's good. gob on the face off. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, we should introduce. Yeah, thanks so for the reminder. A, he'll be the. Del- yeah. Was that the guy you were trying to think the name of the other day? No. Oh, no. okay. <laughs> um. um but he can be like the deliberate one, the one that counsels, let's really think about this, you know, so he could always kind of have that sort of angle. Yeah. Kind of personality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the risk, of course, is that if we have him be like wise, calm and introverted, he's just going to seem super, super boring. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, introverted protagonists uh, are usually tough. Are don't make fun protagonists. Um but uh, um, anyway, yeah. but you know, I mean, well, let's be honest. He's he's always going to be a supporting character. It's just that we're giving him more of a story. Yes, I mean, even even in Doriath, he's going to be kind of a supporting character of the of the other guys. But yeah, so you know, he'll never really have his own spotlight. But that's okay. Yeah, he'll, he'll at least have a story <laughs> and a personality, and a, right. you know. 
Right. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, uh, what's Arwen like? Yeah, there we go. Definitely not like uh, Liv Tyler. No, Jackson Arwen. <laughs> Please, folks. I think there's something in between. You know, I, I, there's something in between the woman who sits at home stitching a banner and a woman who's out taking on the Nazgul. I mean, there's something between those two. And she's the granddaughter of, you know, she's the granddaughter of Galadriel and Kelborn and, I mean, Elrond, you know, there's some, you know, good genealogy there. So she's got to be pretty awesome, but in an Arwen way. Yeah. And what would that be? Yeah. We don't want her to be, I mean, of course, one risk of having the premise of the frame of of season two be her grief for her mom. We don't want to make her too emo. That would be very easy to fall into. And not good. Yeah, not good at all. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think just there in those last just few seconds, we kind of summarized everybody's impression of Arwen's personality. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's the problem, right? She's a cipher. She just she, she's a concept. She's an idea. She's a she's an icon. You know, she's not a yeah, person yeah, in the Lord of the Rings. Like and that's doll, what we yeah. need to do. I mean, we need to make her a person. We need to show her as a person. Well, I, I I'm tending to think she's okay. So she's Elrond's daughter. So scholar yeah. comes to mind. You know, more scholarly oriented yes. than what? say battle yeah. oriented. Oh gee, I I, th- I I was thinking we should go the other direction. Action hero. Action, action hero. Dave, I'm sending you a letter bomb. I'm sending you a howler. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Trish is, Trish it works so well in the, uh, packaging it works up so well. some, 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 some like dog poop to mail you in a package right now. <laughs> it self ignites once you open it. Um, yeah. Um, it works so well in uh, the films. <laughs> but I think to Corey's point, you know, if we make her a scholar and she's a scholar and she's a deep thinker, we've got the same problem that you just outlined as far as protagonist. So we really can't have that. She needs to have some kind of – what would be the combination of Celeborn and Galadriel? You know, what would be that huh. person? Because Galadriel has got to be erring – I mean, especially when we're showing Galadriel in her youth. I mean, she's obviously erring on the side of – Headstrong. That's true. And I mean, she's. Marie makes a really good point. If anything, her problem is like arrogant and uh, uh, yes. power hungry, right? I mean, that's that's yes. that's young that's Gladriel. Right. That's Gladriel's temptation. That's the you know, her overcoming the you know her resisting the temptation to take the ring of power, is the climax of her own personal character development. Um, I I think having her. I mean, it's it's tempting, of course. To just simply try to go against type for Arwen, right? Tolkien depicted Arwen as the almost completely absent person who just sits around and sews, right? You know, her her big uh, her big effort was 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 embroidering the banner. And we're not going to be having her stitching anything during this frame narrative, okay? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. We can have her learning some embro- you know, getting some embroidery tips right there in there in Lorien. Absolutely, yeah. No, that that's uh, that that. That's high drama right there. Anyway, um, 
the temptation would be just to go against type. Dave, as you said, yeah. make her an action figure, right? Make her be like, no, I am like wild and reckless, and I'm a, yeah, I'm a go getter, and and I I'm a, you know, that would be tempting. That's like to just to take her character in the absolute opposite direction, that with of what Tolkien did or didn't do with her uh, in the Lord of the Rings. And for that reason, I'm resistant to even if you know, even forgetting the Peter Jackson films and. Uh, what's worse, the film that Peter Jackson almost filmed but didn't, uh, or at least didn't take. That oh, is yeah. the whole they have her show up in Helm's Deep and stuff. Sh- having Arwen show up in Helm's Deep thing, um, yeah. which which he mercifully didn't leave in. Um, but anyway, uh, even forgetting the Jacksonian reasons for resisting that, I don't like that simply because it's it's against it's it's I, doing the opposite of what people expect is almost as boring as doing what people expect in my yes, personal yes. view. Yeah. Well, I could see Arwen being what what comes to mind is the word chatelaine, you know, the kind of person who is used to command mm-hmm. but not not necessarily armies, but logistically, you know, she's 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 powerful. Um, she's a powerful person and is used to, you know, commanding and making decisions on behalf of groups of people. That kind of, I mean, that right. could be something in between the two. So we're seeing that piece of her, but it's not a battle. You know, it's not a shield maiden kind of thing. It's, it's a, it's a, a but, you know, uh, and Marie says, you know, and I agree with her, she can't be too much of a scholar because she hasn't studied up the, you know, the ramifications of becoming mortal, <laughs> um, as we know. Right. right. Um, so, you know, maybe it's that, you know, she's an action hero around the house, you know, when I say Chatelaine, that's what I mean, you know, the woman yeah. who runs the castle kind a of thing. A strong figure, an authoritative exactly. figure, but not somebody who goes right. out and beats on things. Right, um, right. Who cares about the people, you know, I mean, they could be talking, like I said, there could be news of orc incursions and things happening out in Middle Earth, and she's concerned, you know, that's her, <laughs> you know. I, I like Brianna's characterization advice. She says, "When you're when you're when you're writing a character, just figure out which Hogwarts house that character would be in, <laughs> and then everything becomes easier." Oh no! I, like that. <laughs> um, I may have to make a meme out of that, Brianna. If I do, you're getting credit for it for sure. Yeah. Um, but but see, Brianna, now that you say that, my immediate and unquestioned response: Ravenclaw. Obviously, Arwen is a Ravenclaw, right? No question. Arwen's a Ravenclaw. She's not a Gryffindor. She's a Ravenclaw, right? Clearly. Yeah, absolutely, Clearly. absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Marie, you know, says a social justice warrior. Well, that's kind of interesting. Sort of an Elven activist type, right? You know, right? Activist, but cares. not actual warrior. Yes. yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, maybe. Yeah, I like that. Maybe we have her... Maybe one of the things that drives her personality and drives her views, drives her story, is a passionate attachment to Middle-earth. That's what I'm wondering. I was just thinking about that. I was thinking about advocacy for the people of Middle-earth, which means this is... This comes into... This informs her decision not to leave with her father and to stick with Aragorn. Right. Like that. So like the decision uh, to... It's going to uh, be part of the decision making. To, to, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like basically in her mind, she's like, she's choosing Middle-earth over Valinor and marrying Aragorn and not going with her father. Right. 
And it also helps explain her issues at the end. Because darn it, if she's not expected to leave Middle Earth, so she's clinging to Middle Earth in the end when Aragorn dies. She doesn't want to leave Middle Earth still, right? Um, and Aragorn is at peace with, I've done my part and it's time to leave. And she's not just like, oh gosh, I never really thought about this death thing. Um, no. Oh yeah, there we instead, go. Okay, now I can live with that. <laughs> instead, she's like, no, like, my, our work isn't done. My work isn't done, right? I, I, she still is. She just still doesn't want to leave Middle Earth, and it also mm-hmm. complicates her grief for her mom, because her mom is a cop out. Her mom right. gave up oh, there you and go. left. I mean, yeah, what she experienced was awful, but she just she just packed it in. Her mom, right, right. right? Um, and so you know that uh, that could work. Yeah, I that think could that work. could work really well if we can flesh that out. That would be awesome. And yeah, Marie is saying you know Lothlorien is extremely isolationist and unchanging. Um, her her, <laughs> her perspective. Um, right? Marie says anyone with a normal viewpoint would normal seem like an activist, just, an activist yeah, in Lothlorien. But I mean, it, it could be something. I mean, well, it, I, she could she, be resistant. She could be chafing at that. Yes, she could be chafing at isolate. Why? Policies, why yeah. are we so isolationist? Why do you have these policies in place? And actually, yeah, that yeah. could prompt. Some of the stories. She's she's yeah. she's trying to reform the uh, the the visa policy for Rivendell. <laughs> she's, right. she's picketing outside Karis Galathon. <laughs> right, right, yeah, um, yeah. Oh no, Tony! Please, he goes. So basically, she becomes Tariel. Oh, uh, it is our fight. She says. <laughs> oh, no, because no, it, it's not. It's Lothlorien is isolationist in a different way. Um, yeah, this is not Thranduil just being like, I don't care about our neighbors, right? But, uh, I mean, Galadriel right. obviously does care about their neighbor, their their neighbors, as we see in as evidenced by the story of the ride of a- of uh, of Errol the Young that we get in um, in Unfinished Tales, where Galadriel assists the ride of the of the Proto Rohirrim. Um, but uh, but anyway, so no, they're not isolationist in that way. It's 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 like an Elvish thing. Right, it's the whole like preserving things unstained. Um, that basically Arwen is not really as the younger generation of elf, you know, the post Valinorian elf. Um, right. And thinking about that whole child of the Noldor bo- born in Middle Earth perspective that we were talking about before, Arwen um, is she's not about preserving th- that you know the, the the world unstained. She's about healing the wounds of the world that have happened. Right. Um, you know, healing healing the hurts of the people of the world, not just preserving the old world safe and unstained. Um, and it's not that she dislikes it, right? It's not it's not that she is like you know she thinks that it's ba- you know that Lothlorien is bad. Um, and it's not that we're making Caliborn and Galadriel into Peter Jackson's Thranduil. But she um, she just she she looks at the world differently. Um, and, well, and, and yeah. like you say, you know, Gladriel and Kilborn have different reasons for that. Now, I'm thinking perhaps they have not discussed this before. You know, I mean, you know, that Arwen doesn't understand their reasons, and and they do have reasons that are very different from Thranduil. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, and how much we get into that, you know, we do want to maintain the emphasis on leaving Middle, but because, but but yeah, you see how well this this fits into the whole. Yeah. 
issues with the West, right, and the relationship with the yes, West. Yes. You know, if Arwen, hey, question for you: Does yeah. Arwen know that Galadriel has a ring, and and that her father has a ring? Is she going to know that, or I don't necessarily think we have to answer that right That's now. But I just really seeing that good up. question. I mean, one is tempted to. I mean, I, Galadriel having a ring of power. I've always said it's got to be like the worst kept secret of the Third Age, right? I mean, <laughs> like, who's not going to guess that? Or even Elrond, you know, for given. Yeah. I mean, those two are kind of guineas, right? I mean, I like seriously. It, there are three elvish rings of power. Where, oh, where could they be? Can say who possibly <laughs> could be holding the rings of power? I just can't come up with a single candidate. You know, it's. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, the 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 way we have to kind of look at that, I think, is just simply it's not, nobody's asking that question in the Third Age. Like, nobody even knows right. about that. The lore of the rings right. is gone. I mean, right. most people, Sauron is thinking about it, but Galadriel acknowledges that Sauron is kind of guessed, right? Um, right. You know, right. he suspects, but I can, he does I can not see know. I can see Galadriel, you know, Arwen asks some kind of pointed question and Galadriel answers and then she'll say something like, and there are other reasons that we won't go into it. She kind of like <laughs> right. folds her hands like her hand, you know, like the ringless <laughs> right, hand exactly. over the Right, yes. <laughs> um, that, that, but, it, no, uh, but it's a really good question, Trish. The question of how secret are the rings of power? Because yeah, there's a sense, yeah. there's a sense that the, 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 in, in the Council of Elrond, um, when they ask, isn't it Glowen, who asks about the Elvish rings, right? I see elf lords here, he says, right? You know, what are the rings? And the elves are just kind of like, they are hidden. They're like, we don't talk about that. But it, the impression that they give in the Council of Elrond is like, is they the know? elves know, but they're not telling other people. So, right, like, would right. they keep it secret from Arwen or from other elves? I kind of don't think so. Um, I, 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 would, I would think... Um, yeah. I would think that Arwen would know, right? That like her yeah. dad and grandma are have two of the three rings of power. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, 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 go, now, Gandalf's having one of the rings should be a dead secret, known only mm-hmm. to Círdan and Galadriel and Elrond. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, Sauron would know that. Like Tony Wait says, you know, Sauron would have doesn't even know, know that she has Nanya, but yeah. even he doesn't know about the others. That's right. Yeah. So, so Elrond wouldn't know. No, Elrond would know. Elrond, Goadriel, and Círdan would be the only three in, people in all of Middle-earth who would know that Gandalf has the ring. I would think. You know, that they would keep that an absolute dead secret. But Elrond, I mean, I, 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 at least among the elves. That and Farmer Maggot. That and Farmer Maggot. He knows everything, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, so, okay, so... But I would think it's got to be at least among the elves, like an open secret, right? Like they know they're not going to talk. They don't speak of it because they don't want to be overheard or have anybody. And but you know, and they don't. But but they know, right? I mean, uh, clearly, all the elves, every single elf at the White Council, at the at the White Council, and at the uh, and at the Council of Elrond, they've got to know that Elrond and Galadriel have rings, right? I mean, and they think that Círdan is the third one. I mean, that that I I I, I can't imagine them keeping that secret. I mean, it seems almost insulting to the other elves to be like, no, rings of power? No, no, actually, yeah, we just handed them to some random dude, right? Like, I, I mean, of course they have them. Um, <laughs> Tim Fisher says that Tom Bombadil does know, of course. Yeah, that's how Farmer Maggot found out. Tom Bombadil let that slip one day. But um, anyway, no, it's, it's uh, yeah, I, I, so I think that she should know. 
I think that she should know. But I don't think we should make a big deal of it in the second season frame because I think that that would confuse like the Rings of Power. That's a that's a second and third age issue, um, and we don't want to I think confuse things too much in the in the second season. Um, if since we want to keep our focus on the relationship, you know, like Middle Earth versus Valinor and the elves relationship with both if that's going to be kind of the overarching theme of uh of season two we really want to keep the focus on that and not not go to ring of power territory um so okay we're almost out of time but let's let's look ahead briefly um, I'm really happy with what the work that we've done here with the frame and the end and, yeah. and everything. I, I think this is this is this is really great stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about this frame well, now, especially since we we had tended to give it short shrift in the first season. Yeah, that's well, that's was, the thing. Oh yeah, it's supposed to be the frame. On the frame, yeah, they're going to. That's one of the things that became apparent to us in looking at y'all's conversation on the board and also yeah. some of the difficulties you had. You know, when we talked last time about you know the frame narrative and, and doing the script outline. So, yeah, yeah, felt like it was really important. Let's take a glance at what's coming, because next time, in the next episode, we're going to want to actually do our episode outline um, of our 13 episodes for season two. Um, so let's take a glance at what we cover. First of all, I would like to point out that we are planning to cover a simply staggering amount of material, right? Uh, think how long we spent in chapter one of the Quintus Silmarillion in the first season, um, and really, we only did like basically three chapters at the end uh, uh, of season one. We're going to be doing season. Uh, we're we're going to be doing well. It's basically half of chapter three, and then chapters four through eight, plus uh, uh, big chunks of chapter ten. So. This is a massive amount of material. We're going we're to be covering like seven chapters uh, in season two, right? I mean, this is uh, this is this is heady stuff. Amount of text that we're fixing to cover here. Um, so let's think about what is what's entailed. Let's just kind of um, here brainstorming stuff that's going to be happening during this time that we're going to need to make decisions about in season, whether we include it, whether we don't include it, how we do it, what what material are we talking about here? Let's do an overview, okay? So we've got the awakening of the elves at Quivienen. We've got the early days at Quivienen. So there's there's the stuff about the Dark Rider, right, and the fear of the elves. Um, we've got Sauron, right? Uh, uh, you know, is he kidnapping elves and bringing them back to Melkor at the end of season one, right? So we're going to have to do that from the elvish point of view. Orame's arrival, the Elvish perspective from Quivienen on the battle at the end of season one. So now uh, Melkor's been put away at the end of season one, right? Yes, but we're going backwards in time chronologically. Backwards, oh, that's right. Backwards in time, that's right. I would think at least the first couple, you know, episode or two have to be yes, yes, going yes. backwards. So Pre, pre-war, yeah. Yeah. Um, then we have the decision of the Valar to invite the elves over. So we have the count, the council of the Valar and their decision to bring the elves over. That's a, you know, that pivotal <clears throat> and in its way tragic moment in which the Valar really make what seems like their big, their biggest wrong decision uh, of all time, really. But anyway, so it's a big deal. Um, and then the, the elves not wanting to go 
and so Orame coming back with the three ambassadors, right? With uh, with uh, with Ingwe and and Finway and Elway, um, back to Valinor. So the the visit of the ambassadors, the visit of the ambassadors to Valinor, at which um, Trish, you had suggested that we should we should totally have uh, Elway seeing Melian from afar. Uh, oh yeah, kind of in the background, yeah, or she, yeah. or at least she notices him. She like, sees him. Hubba, yeah, hubba. exactly. Right. Check out that guy. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so so yeah, so then the ambassadors go back and they convince the elves to come. So we have the first division of the elves. Now, I would say, broadly speaking, here's the big. Ch- to me, this is the biggest challenge of season two. The chapter of the like of Eldamar and the princes of the Eldalia. The 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 chapters which cover the journey of the elves from Quivienen to Valinor are not eventful. Not only are they not <laughs> eventful, this is the part which, like, it's it's the chapter of Beleriand and its realms that has killed, like, I think most attempts to read the Silmarillion by first-time readers. But this business is consistently one of the most confusing things. I mean, when I've taught classes on Tolkien in under, you know, with undergrads, when I, you know, in, in my podcast stuff, the thing that I always have to go over most, the thing that confuses people most about the Silmarillion is the subdivision of the Elvish peoples. Like, who are the Calaquendi and the Moraquendi? What's the difference between the Avari and the Nandor? And, and what, and all of this happens here. This is, this is, this is season two, right? Um, so our challenge, uh, wait, and and it's worse. Uh, okay, no, no, hang on. Our challenge is, we need to make that make sense. Okay, we need to do. We need to present this stuff in a way connected with like action, like with events and with characters, such that it becomes memorable and comprehensible. Um, we have the opportunity. Here, here's a moment uh, in season two here where we have the opportunity to really help and change people's perspective on the on this part of the Silmarillion. Right? My goal would be that everybody who listens to our episodes on season two or our sessions on, on season two of of Silm Film will emerge and and be like, I will never get these people's confused again. Like that's my hope. <laughs> right? That we can make this sufficiently awesome. intuitive and memorable that we can give people sort of imaginative hooks to hang these Hey, I'm hoping I can get that out of doing season two. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so, that's challenging. Now, that's challenging enough given how sort of confusing this whole network of, of, of connections is. What makes it worse is that what Tolkien is describing here is like the migration of people groups over time. The crossing of Middle-earth takes a long time. Probably... I mean, he doesn't put time on it, but it takes it takes a long time, thousands of years for them to cross Middle Earth. Um, remember the origins. It's in this section of the Sil- of the Silmarillion where we can really see like the creative root of the Silmarillion story. And remember that creative root is philological on Tolkien's part. He had mm-hmm. he had made these two elvish languages and he was making up a set of stories which would explain the linguistic relationships, the philological relationships between these two elvish languages. So therefore, Tolkien was very happy. In fact, it was mandatory in Tolkien's creative concept to have a 
migration and division of people groups over time, right? So that we have this one group of people who originally spoke the same language, and then over time they segmented into different people groups, and their language during the time of their separation changed in these particular ways, and that's how these different languages and different dialects developed, okay? Are you, are you trying to say, Corey, that this isn't going to make for good TV? Well... <laughs> The philological background of elvish history probably wouldn't make ideal TV. It's not like optimal television watching experience, right? So basically, what we're going to be doing, what we need to do in season two, is to transform an overview of the division and migration of people groups over time into a plot uh, that is compelling and with characters that are really interesting and compelling. That's our challenge here. I think it's doable. I think we can do it. Um, do, do we show the changing of languages? Do we show that? <laughs> do, we, do we actually make yes. that? I mean, that's going to bring up the whole universal translator. You know, I mean, that's, yeah. I think we kind of touched on that. We did back, back last in year, season zero. Yeah. yeah. It's, you um, know, it's kind of, because I mean, the whole, because the whole Quenya Cinderin thing is going to be an issue, you know, an actual issue with Thingol later. You know, so it's kind of like anyway. Yeah. It's kind of like to I, be talking about that I now, think, but, but. <clears throat> I think I think if we produce a, um, a a Tolkien television show, and in particular this one where we're doing basically the history of Middle Earth, and we don't have like at least half oh. a dozen philological <laughs> language experts and consultants, like making up <laughs> not even not even just the major languages, but like the various dialects and they, how they evolve over time. Then we fail. We'll be completely, yeah. We'll be like excoriated by the critics. Yeah. Um, but we I love that word, by the way. That's my new word. Today. Yeah. That's yeah. I'm gonna use word. that as much as I can today. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, um, and of course, uh, I always liked that word when I was in high school because it's like the word. It's like the verb form of removing me from a situation, right? With the, the, I always liked the way my own name was in that, was in that word. Ah. Right? It's like, it's like, yeah. Excoriate. To excoriate is just like to kick me out of the group. Oh, I'm going right? to use that. I'm going to do that sometime. <laughs> we need to, we need to excoriate this issue. Exactly. Corey which does means, not need to be means involved. to remove me from the picture. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a joke. That was a joke one of my high school friends made a long time ago. But anyway, um, oh my God, you were a nerd, weren't you? Totally, <laughs> totally. Yeah, no, I started by collecting of fun words uh, uh, in high school. But anyway, okay. Um, so, yeah, we. Uh, um, I'm gonna kick the can on that issue. Let's not talk about that. Brian, Brian says. Brian says, I got this, you guys. I took Professor Higgins in meta language course. I just need an unabridged dictionary, 600 liters of coffee, and a bucket. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes, we're kicking the can on this one. It's 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 much like the orc issue. It is definitely something that we need to be thinking about. So y'all think about that. I, you know, talk about it on the board. You know, let's because I think this is going to take a while for us to sort of come to some. Yeah. In season zero, we had talked about having different elvish groups speaking with different accents. Accents. Yeah, we had. Um, yeah. With you know recognizably different accents. Um, I, what I, discuss on the discussion board. I, you know, what, what, I'm, and I'm of course, c- don't forget the dwarves. The dwarves need Russian accents, I think. So, <laughs> right, not Scottish, whatever it is. Not um, Scottish. Let's not do. Scottish. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So let's. Um, I'm. I'm. I'm gonna let's punt 
I'm I'm going to yeah. punt this to the. To We're the, punting to the it as far as a live topic, but y'all, yeah, y'all yeah. talk about because we definitely going to have to. And we'll come back it, to so. it. But anyway, okay, so back to the overview. So the journey across. So this means so we've got the separation from the Avari at first. We've got the Nandor who don't cross the Misty Mountains. Um, we've got and then later on do as the Green Elves. Um, we've got the uh, the loss of Elway, right? So uh, we've got the Thingol and Melian. Thingol's meeting with Melian, and his people who stay to look for him. And of course, his people staying to look for him enables us to introduce uh, certain major characters, right? Beleg, Mablung, um, Celeborn, Dairon. They can all be involved. Cyros, they could all be involved there. In They could be all among those people who are deciding to stay. Then we've got Círdan. Círdan, uh, 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 the ship right. So, okay, so that's like the divisions of the Teleri. But we get the Noldor and Vanyar getting to the coast. They're shipped across on the island. Right, by Omo. They're taken across to Valinor. Then we've got the Teleri who show up late and they're hanging out at the coast and uh, they hang out with Asino, so we'll get like the like the bromance between Kirtan the shipwright and Ase, right, as they start to hang out and he te- and Ase teaches him how to make ships and uh and, and they, they they begin to uh, uh to to uh, you know, to become navigators and to sail the coasts, and they choose not to leave. Um, so we have the sort of the then the, the the Teleri being brought across. This is where we divide, right? Because divide the stories, because we've established some of the Sindar remain. You know, some of the some of the elves, some of the Teleri remaining. We've got Círdan's people by the coast. We've got um, Celeborn and uh, Mablung and Beleg and Dairon hanging out looking for. Uh, for Thingol, who's not yet called Thingol. We've got the Green Elves, whom we've probably mostly forgotten about by now. Then we shift to Valinor, right? And we leave them, we leave them all behind for a little bit. In Valinor, right, we, we're going to have to cover the, um, uh, the, the arrival in Valinor, where they live, right? So we're going to have to get the whole, like, establishing of the Elvish... Um, homes, right? In Valmar, in Tyrion, the move of the Vanyar from Tyrion up to uh, Teniquitil, the establishment of Elven home, of Tolerasea, and then of Alquilonde, right? All that stuff has got to go on, or we need to simplify it, or something. Um, But we have to decide what we're going to do with where the elves live and why, and why they move house, as they do on several occasions, Right, um, if we're going to do that, or, or we could choose to simplify it, but we've got anyway. We've got to deal with all that stuff. Um, we have, of course, Finway's complicated love life. Right, we're going to have to have Finway and his first wife, and the birth of Feanor, and then the uh, uh, you know the quasi death of uh, of of Finway's first wife, uh, and then the um, his remarriage. And the birth of uh, Fingolfin and Finarfin, and then the tension among the sons of Feanor, and possibly right. remember the you know the the possibly some discussion of this right Valar the Valar talking about this the whole Finway remarrying issue and how this is probably not a good idea or maybe not a good idea we, we, we're um, um, you know, it is unprecedented, isn't it? Yeah, Muriel. Excuse yeah, sorry, Robert. I know it's Muriel. Yeah, Muriel being Finway's first wife. Um, anyway, so okay, so we've got that right, 
And then, so we've got to have young Fanor growing up. We don't have to have, have spend a whole uh, uh, episode with Fanor growing up, but we do need, I'm thinking something like a Fanor montage episode. We certainly need, Fanor needs to make the Silmarils, right? Um, right. The Silmarils have to be made uh, because we're, again, we're getting up, we're going up to the darkening of Valinor. So we need. Oh, which means we're going to get the Galadriel telling him to go get lost. Scene, yes, we? we're going to need. Right. We're going to need the Fanor. Galadriel's got to be born so that we can have Fanor asking for a lock of her hair and her refusing him. That absolutely goes in yep. there, right? We have to have that as as a. We have to make a big deal of that. Um, so okay, so we've got we've got that stuff, then we're going to need to do the uh, um, the unchaining of Melkor, right? The great council and debate, like the trial of Melkor, essentially. Um, so we can do some, like, nice courtroom drama uh, uh, right in the trial. Okay, maybe not courtroom drama. But anyway, <laughs> we, we need to have the council um, and, uh, and Manway's decision to release Melkor. Then we have to have Melkor spreading the seeds of doubt and lies, the change among the Noldor um, under the influence of, uh, um, of Melkor. Um, and then finally his consultation with Ungoliant and the darkening of Valinor. But meanwhile, back in Middle-earth, we also, after some time has passed and we've had a few solid Valinor episodes and established the elves... <clears throat> over there in their places and gotten all of the important Noldor born, like Feanor and Galadriel and all of them, we then go back to Middle-earth. And Thingol emerges uh, from his, uh, uh, you know, from the thicket in which he uh, has been enthralled. And he and Melian come and they set up Doriath and, and uh, so Doriath is established but we've got to get back to the Necromantic Orc project, right? What's Sauron doing, meanwhile? We've, we've followed Myron fairly closely in season one. We don't want to leave Myron behind. He's our, he's our ultimate bad guy and we'll the be, entire we'll show. And be showing his, we'll be showing his fall early, like season, in episode one, right? Because we haven't actually done that final yeah, shift. Well, yeah, we, right? we didn't get to that. We're definitely going to have to be thinking about that. You know, how are we going to be transitioning... Um, we've seen we've we I, I think the way that we set up the fall of Sauron is some of the most masterful plot work that we uh, and our team of 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 plot of episode outliners did in season one. I think that yeah. the, the the story of Myron as we gave it and the and sort of the progress of his fall, I I, I thought that came out really really well. Um, but so we'll um, have kind of the final the final step will take place like episode one. I mean, we'll see the fall. I mean, we'll see the actual shift yeah, happen. In which, actual shift, as, he becomes, as, as he takes up the, uh, the rulership right. of Angband, right? And basically right, right. takes upon himself to become like the, you know, the deputy of Melkor right. in absentia, you know, uh, right. uh, over Middle-earth. Um, and, uh, and, and, and establishes his power. At, and of course, remember, we set up like conflict and tension between him and the Balrogs, right? Be between him and Gothmog, um, right? You know, the bad guys aren't going to all be on the same page, right? So oh, yeah, that's you know, true. we're going to have to. He's going to have to make his own bad that. guys too. He'll have to make his own bad guys. Ones exactly. That are, like you know, uh, like yeah. time for some yeah. werewolves. Maybe we bring in Thorin Gwethel. Yeah, here. and bats. Yes, yeah. exactly. Maybe we bring in Thorin Gwethel as a character. Um, she yeah, can be yeah. like well, you know, one of you know. We, heck, we can make Thorin Gwethel. His like you know right hand person if we. His Gothmog, yeah, yeah his he, Gothmog. he could be to Sauron what 
what Goth Mag is to Melkor. So yeah, well, I won't get into that. To build our Prince of Cats, Brian. Hey, absolutely, you got it. Why not? I mean, he actually should have multiple names, right? To Vildo Fu should show up. It's I mean, the the name Fu should come along. Absolutely, he should be called. And by the way, I do think that should be the transition. I think he should he should transition from Myron, like the name that he takes for himself should be Fu. Fu. Yeah, but anyway, anyway. So okay, so so um, uh, but we also need the super secret uh, uh, necromantic orc project that's got right. and uh, under his operation, and then the release of the el- the orcs into the wild and the initial conflict between the orcs, and culminating with, I mean, I think that we end the Middle Earth um, storyline. I don't know when exactly in the sequence of the season we want to do it, but I'm thinking that the climax of the Meanwhile in Middle-Earth subplot of Season 2 is the death of Denethor at the hand of the elves when the, when the, the you know, the Lyquendi there are surrounded on the hilltop and Denethor is killed. Right. Um, so we have tragedy in Middle-Earth, right? Um, mm, and that can be happening, good. that can be happening in parallel to what is going on. And so I'm thinking actually we could time it such that the release of Melkor basically coincides in timing with the release of the orcs and the beginning of conflict in Middle Earth. Right, right. Um, not because Melkor has like you know wired over to to Sauron to Myron and giving him giving him the thum- the thumbs up, but just like thematically, as things start to go bad in Valinor, things start to go bad in Middle Earth, so that we can have a, sort of a parallel course uh, between the two of them. Also, don't forget we need the dwarves to wake up, and in enough, you know, and with enough uh, season left for them to be doing something. You know, it's not yeah. enough just for them to wake up, but they need to then become part of sort of the story. As yeah, we need to we need to find a way to introduce the the dwarves into this. Now, it's conceivable. I think we could be excused if we waited till season four for that. If we, you know, season, yeah, season four, season four, season yeah, that's four, true. Remember, is the no, you're right. Post death of of Feanor, pre. Battle of Sudden Flame, um, right? So, I mean, chronologically, it would actually happen during season two. I think we could we could push that back if we wanted to, but I, we might want to because I think there's some story. I mean, I don't think we have the space in season two to do justice to their story, yeah. other than having them wake up. So we might just want to wait and do sort of like a backflash, flashback. Excuse me, yeah, a backflash. <laughs> You know, when we actually do take them on. And I think yeah. season four makes sense. Because, you know, like you say, right now it's really elves and next season's Fanor. So they really don't have a spot just yet. Yeah, I mean, and I know, like, you know, Tony is, of course, reminding us that they helped to build Doriath. Yeah, I mean, I know. I know they're there. I know they're around. You know, if we're going to be faithful to the sequence in which Tolkien actually describes these things, we do need to introduce the dwarves. My problem is... I feel like if we want to introduce the dwarves, we really need to make them part of a plot line. You know, not just like, P.S., and there's dwarves, yeah. and they're helping. Oh, and by the way, the dwarves woke up, and they helped and, Yeah. You know, they show up as, like, bit character, like, extras. I don't want the dwarves to be extras in season two. No. If we're going to have them come in, we need to have them be part of a part of the story in a significant way. Now, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say definitely no. Maybe maybe as we go on we'll think of a way we wanna include them in uh in in the in the you know in the meanwhile in Middle Earth plot with the wars I mean they could be involved with the wars with the orcs. We could we could go there, maybe. 
but I'm I'm a little bit worried about trying to squeeze the squeeze. Well, the thing we could do is sort of show them in the background doing building, but not explain anything just yet. Um, we could. Anyway, well, I mean, we. I mean, I really do see reason to wait. I think, yeah. but anyway. Yeah, Tony, I agree. They could be part of the Doriath in Crisis story, and we could use this. We could use. I mean, okay, so Tony, here's here's my one concept. My one concept that I've got. If we establish the dwarves as allies of Thingol and the Sindar in the very beginning, it makes their falling out and like their mutual betrayal at the death of Thingol that much more poignant when we come around to that. So I could see setting up the dwarves as the allies of the Sindar. Um, I mean, that's a bit revisionist, of course. But I think it would work, and I think we could do that. Let's see. Let's see when we out. When, when, when do we I outline like that next idea. time? Yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of yeah, like actually, it too. I do like that idea. Yeah. But, but let's just see. Let's just see if there's time. Let's just see if there's time. Talk, I'm not sure. Talk about it on the board. <laughs> talk about, Y'all it, on talk the about it on the board. When we map out the episode, the episode outlines, or you know, the, the episode we'll overview next time, yeah. we'll see if we think we can squeeze it in. Um, if not, I mean, another thing kind of informing my thought here is that I, I, I'm i not sure that we aren't going to be spoiled for subplots in season four. Like, it, it Boy, might be kidding, nice huh? to have, you know, a, a big dwarvish subplot that we could bring in in season four. Remember, season four is of Beleriand and its realms. So um, it's, it's possibly the least action-packed. Um, I want there to be more of interest in season four happening than just elvish politics. Um, but anyway, so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how we go. Um, so, so yeah, so that's all the stuff that needs to happen here in season two. It's quite a bit of, it's going to be, there, there are a bunch of very significant challenges. So having just kind of done that overview, we'll leave it there and you guys can be thinking about that and posting on that stuff on the discussion boards, and then next time we'll try to go back through and tackle a concrete episode-by-episode episode sketch um, of how we want the sequence to go so we can make sure that we have it mapped out before we begin our our episode-by-episode episode discussions after that. Cool. All right? Like it. Good. Yeah, good. I like it, too. Okay. Very good. Well, thanks, everybody for joining us uh this was a a wide range and i'm i'm especially excited i have to say i'm especially excited about the arwen stuff i think that stuff came together super well i had no idea of of that stuff arwen was uh two hours ago arwen was as much of a blank slate in my mind as she's always been so i'm really excited about the direction that and i like our yeah i like our 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 decision on that i think it's a really good one The, the middle ground you know yeah yeah um, it gives her. It's going to give her a good personality too. I think. Yes. Yes. Um, f- uh, strong and opinionated, but not reckless nor foolish. Right. Um, right. Yeah. 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 So we can see having her. Actually, it's interesting. Being the endomial of her people, it could be. We could see a little bit of a foreshadow of Luthien here. Yes. Oh, how ironic, right? To have Arwen yeah. foreshadowing Luthien. Foreshadow Luthien. That's yeah. beautiful. That's, kind of, that's, that's actually kind of poetic. really beautiful. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. 
Love it. Okay, cool, cool. All right, so uh, so very good. So uh, uh, we will we look forward to your contributions for next time uh, and uh, continuing the discussion as we continue to iron out the plan uh, and uh, lay the foundation for our detailed discussions of these things as we move along. So very good. Very good. Thanks, everybody. And, of course, to everybody listening at home, thank you for listening, and Godspeed.